Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. April 15, 2013 was a day of triumphant celebration in Boston. And then the bombs exploded. As a result of the blast near the finish line of the Boston Marathon, three were killed and more than 260 were injured. Two months later, many of those survivors are still being treated for their injuries, which range from cuts and scrapes to severe burns and amputated limbs. In this three-part Move Forward Radio series we're calling Beyond Boston, we talked to four physical therapists who described what the road to recovery looks like for the bombing victims, or anyone who has suffered similar injuries. Our first guest is Dave Nolan, a physical therapist at Massachusetts General Hospital's Sports Physical Therapy Department and Performance Center, who was stationed near the finish line of the marathon on Boylston Street, coordinating the physical therapy services being offered to race participants when the bombs went off. In this interview, Dave describes how medical staff work together to treat the victims on the scene and shares his optimism for their recovery. With that, here's our interview with Dave Nolan. Dave, I want to go back to April 15th. You were a volunteer in the medical tent at the marathon. Can you take me through your experience that day? And first, how close were you to the explosions, and what did you first see and hear? So I coordinate all the physical therapy care at the finish line. So it's a couple different medical areas, and at the time of the blast, I was on the front side of the main medical tent on Boylston Street, probably maybe 25 or 50 yards down the street from the finish line where the blast happened. And what was your initial reaction just personally? So when it first happened, I mean, it was a beautiful day. And from the typical things that we see and cover at the marathon, it was a particularly slow uneventful day as far as the needs of the runners. A big contrast to the year prior where we had, you know, high 80 degree temperatures and there were lots of people that needed treatment. And when the first blast happened right by the finish line, my first thought was wondering if there was fuel out at that spot. The first thought that I had wasn't that it was a bomb, it was there might have been fuel or something that had happened. And then very soon after when the second blast happened, I knew right away that it was something much more serious. Within that medical tent, you and the other physical therapists and the other people who were there, how quickly did things switch from chaos into a sorting out the chaos and administering care? Almost immediately. And that time of the day is typically busy because you've got a large number of sort of less experienced runners that are coming through. So a lot of those folks are dehydrated or cramping or the folks that end up needing care in the medical tent. So it's actually a time of day when beds in the medical tent are fairly full. So after it happened, the immediate initial change was to start working on getting the runners that were in the tent triaged and well enough on their way to make room for for more serious victims from the bombs as far as that main medical tent was going to be used as a triage area because EMS is always at the back of that tent, so sort of the, the best region in that finish line medical area to use as a triage area. So the first steps were getting people that were there being treated up and moving and discharged, and the people that weren't ready to be discharged yet sort of consolidated to a smaller area of the tent, and then getting things ready sort of into triage areas as far as you know, most serious to less seriously wounded people to try to make sure that the most seriously wounded people were able to get to the hospital as soon as possible. 
give me a ballpark. I mean, how many medical professionals are working at that time? All together in several hundred, the physical therapy team is right around 70, about half of that being licensed therapists and half of that being physical therapy students. There's a similar contingency of 100 to 200 nurses, about 100 athletic trainers, a couple hundred physicians, and that support staff as well. And then there's a number of people in the finish line medically. I mean, there's several hundred medical professionals, and that's not even including a lot of the other sort of non-medical volunteers that are right in that immediate area. And that's also not including, you know, Boston Fire, Boston EMS, the people that work, you know, for the, for the city that are there as well. Once you start responding to an event like that, did that change the way you worked with other groups? I mean, did you guys work specifically physical therapists with physical therapists? Were you now changing the way you collaborated with the other medical professionals who were there? No, so how the, the medical tent is sort of how it works out is, you know, so I'm a captain for all of physical therapy. There's somebody else that has my role with athletic training, with nurses, with physicians. We have leadership roles within our disciplines. Within the tent itself, you know, just to give you a, a layout, so the, the main medical tent has about 20 or 25 sections in it, each section with 10 or 12 cots, and each section has a physician, uh, one or two nurses, a physical therapist, a physical therapy student, an athletic trainer, an EMT a lot of times, and then there's also podiatry and chiropractic care as well. And each of those individual sections during a normal race day sort of operates as its own team. So runners come in and they're brought to different sections and that group works together. And that really didn't change as far as, you know, once the once the blast happened, that those teams continued to work together and communicate as sort of a smaller group, you know, as far as taking care of the runners that were in their immediate care, you know, like I said, discharging them and getting people consolidated to other areas, and then from there working together under the direction of the physician in a lot of cases to make sure they had the supplies that were going to be needed for some of the injuries that were going to be coming into the tent from the blast. Absolutely. So I think a lot of times physical therapy is thought of something as kind of after the urgent situation, after that urgent medical need has been taken care of. But what are some of the ways that physical therapists helped in those urgent moments to administer care? Well, so just because of where I was, because I was outside of the tent, I was among the people that immediately went to the blast site to start treating the victims there. So some of that was, you know, compression on wounds, trying tourniquet, trying to splint injuries, and then trying to facilitate getting people onto stretchers and backboards and things like that to get them either onto an ambulance or into the medical tent to be cared for or triaged. And then, you know, within the tent itself, obviously it's not the typical realm of practice for a physical therapist, but basically everybody that was there was doing whatever they could to assist in those injuries. So, I mean, the basic knowledge that uh, any medical professional has as far as working with, with trauma and trying to stop bleeding and helping, whether that was getting supplies or keeping, you know, limbs elevated and trying to keep interactive with people so not going to shot and then just basically assisting all the other first-line medical responders. A day that had been really bright and really positive and a day of celebration essentially turned into a war zone. And I'm curious, had you ever in a real-world situation seen anything like what you saw that day? No, in real world, never. I mean, I've seen individual bad injuries with sports and things like that, but absolutely nothing to the level of, of what I saw that day, not only what came into the tent, but certainly what I saw at the blast site. At least 14 of the victims required amputations. Mm -hmm. I know you have experience treating people who've had amputations. 
when you see something like that up close, did that change your perception or anything of what that whole emotional cycle is and that kind of injury? I mean, I think that having worked with patients that have had amputations in the past, regardless of the circumstances, so whether it was somebody who lost a limb because of complications with diabetes or heart disease or something like that, or somebody who had a traumatic accident, or then certainly the people from the blast at the marathon, I don't think that it's any less traumatic. You know, I mean, it's part of you that isn't there anymore, so it certainly changes your perception of who you are and how you look. And then, obviously, it makes everything a lot harder. People make tremendous strides with rehabilitation and can do just about anything and everything after having the amputation. But it's a very, very long road. And I think that it's a lot to overcome, especially for, you know, a lot of the people were are very young and very active, you know. So I think that it's, it's remarkably challenging. And I think that the emotional component is as significant, if not more significant, than the physical piece. Yeah, give me a glimpse of that road and and the sense of what someone who has to deal with an amputated limb, what emotionally, what they're going to have to go through to to overcome their challenges. A number of the people that that were injured that day are some of them are still hospitalized now. We're you know six weeks after after the marathon. You know where you know the initial components for them were the surgeries to make sure that you had clean healing residual limb, and then from there some time once that healing happens to then begin the the prosthetic fitting process, which can take quite a bit of time because as your body's healing, the swelling and and everything in your leg is changing, the size of the limb changes, which makes fitting a prosthesis challenging. And even once that's stabilized, you actually start fitting a prosthesis and have a socket, start having a limb. Now it's going through all the challenges with physical therapy to actually start being able to reteach your muscles and joints and the rest of your body on how to now maneuver with this prosthesis. And, and people are typically they're weaker, they're deconditioned. The energy expenditure when you have a prosthesis is significantly greater than if you uh, have your limb and muscles intact. And, and it can be very frustrating. You know, I mean, technology is such that we have great microprocessor components that can provide great movement and very close to real joint movement. But what you don't have is the sensory input or the normal proprioception that you might have with the normal joint and the muscle that's around it as far as giving your brain the input that you need to be able to, to walk around and have good balance and things like that. So it's, it's a very foreign process. All the while, that patient is dealing with the body image component of, of not having their leg anymore and you know, not being the same person that they were. So I think that it's a very emotional and very challenging physical process. With those great challenges, you mentioned earlier that so many will come back and be able to do a lot of the same things they did before. They lost their limb. And with those great challenges, there have to be great triumphs that come along the way, too. I'm curious what it's like to be up close to something like that and to see someone break through and and realize they can do something again or essentially for the first time. Well, I think that certainly with this group of people, people that have lost limbs as well as others, I mean, that's why so many of us that are physical therapists chose to be physical therapists, is having the opportunity to work with somebody and help them on that journey and to be with them when they succeed in those goals is incredibly rewarding. A couple of folks that were victims in the bombing now, and many of them that have been motivated to want to run in next year's 
injuries and be involved at different levels, things that they might not have thought about doing in the past, and they want to sort of stand up and, and do something special. You know, so all those little games in between of being able to stand up on their own for the first time or to take those steps or to not need the assistive device like the walker, you know, all those small victories along the way. And then, you know, the bigger things of, of you know, being out in the community and walking and then for a lot of folks actually being able to start running or, or doing higher level things is incredibly rewarding as a clinician to help those people get to that point and to be there and share in that success when they, when they do get there. From a public perspective looking in, are there any popular misconceptions about what someone goes through who's trying to recover from an amputated limb or something that most of us don't appreciate, either how challenging it is or maybe what's possible? I think both. I think a lot of people probably don't realize how long of a process that it is. I think a lot of people would probably be surprised to know that there's still a number of people that are still hospitalized now, you know, still in rehab hospitals, young, otherwise healthy people that are still healing. How long that process is and how long it takes for your body to adapt. That it's months and months of going through multiple fittings and, and adjustments to the socket on a regular basis to be able to actually have prosthesis that fits and then getting used to it. As far as what's possible, the other area that has in some ways helped a lot of this sort of a positive thing from an otherwise negative situation is that a lot of the prosthetic advancements have come from wartime in the injuries to the military personnel and huge number of people that are, are dealing with amputation and are now you know, progressing. We've seen a huge improvement in the quality of the technology as far as not just something underneath uh, your residual limb so that you can stand up and move around, but really high-quality, technologically savvy equipment that allows you to get back to the same kinds of things that you were doing before the injury. So I think that while that has had some light shed on it because of the conflicts in both Iraq and Afghanistan and our, our military service members that have been injured, I think that there's a lot of folks that still don't realize just how advanced people will be. They won't be relegated to a wheelchair for the rest of their life. Even the folks that have bilateral amputations, they won't be able to have prostheses on both limbs, be up and moving for sure. And so is it realistic to think that someone who lost a leg at this last Boston Marathon may be able to run next year? I do. I think that there's certainly time for healing, and I think that the technology is there, and it, it will be a very challenging road for some of those people. But having met a number of the victims from that day, there is a remarkable amount of dedication and motivation with many of those folks that I don't think anyone is going to tell them that they can't do it, that's for sure. And I think that there will be a big number of proud and motivated physical therapists to help them get to that goal. Less than two months removed from the event, what stands out most for you about you know having experienced that and then also worked with victims after the fact? What's the indelible image for you? I think for me, you know, it was the ability to work with such a cohesive group of medical professionals. There's a number of us that have been involved with that race for a very long time. And in the face of very tragic events, people came together and did more than you would have ever expected them to do. And that's all medical professionals, certainly the physical therapists and physical therapy students and how they stepped up to make sure that as few people as possible lost their life, essentially, by providing the best care possible after everything happened. And beyond that, just to see how not only the Boston community, but the country and even internationally, the support that poured out was really humbling to see, to see how this impacted 
people all over the place as far as wanting to help out. And I'm getting requests already as far as people that want to be involved and help as part of the medical staff of next year's race. So many people are trying to find ways to give back, to help the victims, to be involved, to help the city, and to be there in some way next year to sort of show that nothing is going to prevent this great event from happening and, in fact, that it will be bigger and better than ever in the future. Dave Nolan, thanks for telling us your story. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Be sure to listen to the other parts of our Beyond Boston series at moveforwardpt.com slash radio. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.